Let's welcome tonight our very own precious and wonderful Amanda Taylor as she comes to bring the word. Precious and wonderful. I like that. I believe that that was God-inspired. I think that's the most anointing thing you have ever said, Pastor Val. I'm almost positive. I am pretty sure that it is. He's only saying that because he actually insulted me this week, but we won't go there. That's in the past. I have forgotten that, and I have forgiven. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he called me childish without calling me childish, but um, we'll, we'll let that go. <laughs> That's okay. It is, it is such an honor uh, to, to be in the house of God, to be in front of you, to, to see you, and to just open up his word to see what it is that it has to reveal to us, because he wants to reveal his word to us. He wants to reveal his word to us in ways that we have never seen, in ways that we have never experienced, in things that may seem out of the ordinary. He wants to reveal his word to us. And so whenever you minister, whenever you speak, no matter, no matter what type of ministry it is, sometimes you have an interaction or, or you, you have an experience that you think, oh, I'm going to share that. That's going to make its way into a message, or that's going to make its way into a sermon, even if I have to force it, simply because I want to share it. That's, you know, you, you, have, that, you have that right, you have that thought. Well, I had an experience a couple weeks ago, and I have been waiting for the opportunity to share this experience. So most of you know that I work for uh, Three Rivers College. I have an office at the Sykeson branch in the, the Popper Bluff location, <clears throat> And I do a lot of different things. I'm all over the place. Um, I, you know, whenever you work at a college, you're not just stuck to one job or, or one description. You have this little, this, little, this little line in your job description that says, all other responsibilities as determined. So that basically means that if you need to mop the floor, you need to mop the floor. If you need to meet with a senator, you meet with a senator. Whatever is needed in that moment is what is required of you. Well, I did not know that it included this. So I'm sitting in my office, I'm having a good day, we're just doing normal stuff, and I think I even had this flash of insanity that said, today's been pretty calm. <laughs> At that moment, I should have recognized it's about to all fall apart. And so I'm sitting in my office, and I, I get this, uh, we, we did have kind of a lot of stuff going on in the building, but everything was happening. It was people were where they were supposed to be, and, and we were doing pretty good, and, and all of a sudden I get this text that says, uh, you need to come up to the third floor, there's something you need to see. Oh, Lord have mercy. What is it that I need to see? So as I'm walking up the stairs, actually I'm, I step out of my office into the hallway and I'm met by one of our instructors and she says, I need to give you the backstory. That's never good. It's never good, okay? When they have to give you the story before you actually see the situation, it's never a good thing. And so she says, we got a phone call. And this was a, a nursing instructor, instructor. She said, we got a phone call, and a lady in the community wanted to donate some items to Three Rivers. Uh, her, her dad had just passed away, and she wanted, to, she wanted to donate some things that he had in his garage. And I'm thinking, we have a process for this. Did you follow the process? Well, the lady brought it already, and so it's in the hallway. Okay. Let's see what we got. She wanted to donate a skeleton. I walk up to the third floor. I'm thinking it's a medical skeleton, the kind of skeletons that you see 
um, in the, you know, in the doctor's offices, the kind of skeletons you see in a classroom. This one was real. I'm not joking. I have pictures if you want to see them because some of you are looking at me and you're thinking, Amanda, you're not telling the truth. But I am telling you the truth. It was real. I rounded the corner and I see this very old, old casket laying in the floor and I'm like, oh, sweet Lord. We have to call the police and we have to call the coroner. But before we called the coroner, as we were waiting for the coroner, this was the words I said out of my mouth, get me some gloves because I want to touch it. Not every day that you touch a skeleton, right? Get me some gloves because I want to touch it. And then I proceeded to say, I watch NCIS. I may be able to identify it. (laughs) You got to make light of those situations, right? I mean, the police are coming. The coroner is coming. We have to make light of this situation and hope and pray that no students walk up the flight of stairs and see what is laying in the floor. But I say that because I wonder... When's the last time you walked into a sanctuary and said, I want to touch something? When's the last time you stood in the presence of God and you said, I want to see something new? I want to touch something. I want to touch something that's out of the ordinary. I want to get out of my comfort zone. I want to get out of the, the everyday, the mundane parts of church. And, and don't, don't get holy on me tonight and say, Amanda, those don't exist because they do. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you have just come to church because it's what you're supposed to do. It's what you've always done on Wednesday night. And you're really thinking, just get me through this so I can go home. But I wanted to check my box that I was in the church on Wednesday night so I can say, God, I did what was required of me but there are others of you who entered this sanctuary and you said I want to touch something I want to see something new and maybe you were the only one that saw it but you come for a purpose you come for a reason you see one of the things that me Rob and Mindy do on Wednesday nights and and Luke we normally always go out to dinner before we come to church and we get on these these kicks where we, we literally eat the same restaurant like for months. I mean, I don't know what happens. I don't know why, but that's, that's what we do. Our kick right now is Broussards. And so we've eaten Broussards every Wednesday night for like a month. And there's a store that sits right across from Broussards. And you've got this big window. And one of our greatest pastimes or one of the greatest moments, I guess, of our dinner is we make fun of the people who are trying to parallel park. Because we just can't do that anymore, it seems. So at one point, there was a lady that was trying to parallel park, and the whole audit- or the whole dining room cheered for her once she finally did it. It took so long. But there's a store, and I was watching this store. And on the door, it has a statement. It says, open your mind before you open the door. And I thought, hmm. So here's what I want to say to you tonight. Open your mind. Open your spirit before you approach his word. Open your heart before you step into his presence. Because he wants to show some things to you. He wants to reveal some things to you. So go ahead, if you will, in your Bible and turn to John chapter 15 for me. And while we're looking at John chapter 15, I want to talk about a guy by the name of James Smith. You see, James Smith graduated from Waltrip High School in 1967. From there, he went to Sam Houston State University. He got his degree and then had a long, successful career. 
He married his wife, Sherry, has been married to her for over 30 years. He has two grown children who, has, who are also married. He has a son named Jeremy and a daughter named Tiffany, and he's a bit of a social conservative. So if you want to think politics or talk politics, he's going to be on the conservative side of things. He has a John Deere tractor, and he's proud that for a man of his age, he still mows his yard. He has a great sense of humor, but the real crown jewel of his life are his seven grandchildren. If they're playing a sport, Jim and Sherry are there. He's oftentimes, he's, he's, he's oftentimes there, but he loves, he loves, one of his favorite things to do is take his granddaughter to high tea. And we're not talking just a little tea in a teacup, we're talking the whole thing. We're not talking the Keurig type of tea, the real deal, the real, the real swanky kind of high tea experience. And he has a dog named Oliver, and Oliver's a golden doodle, and Oliver's kind of crazy. And I have a confession. I have no idea who James Smith is. All of that was made up. And maybe made up is a wrong terminology because it necessarily wasn't made up, but it was found basically looking at his Facebook page for 10 minutes. I don't know James Smith. I have no idea who he is. But yet, I could enter into conversation with him based on what I have read about him. And you see, social psychologists have said that I don't know Jim, I know about Jim. There's a difference. They're going to tease out this idea, psychology is going to tease out this idea of knowing and knowing about, and they're going to use these terms impersonal and personal knowledge. Psychology says there's a difference in knowing someone and knowing about someone. Impersonal knowledge could be that you're an acquaintance. I think we have a lot of impersonal knowledge about each other. You're able to smoothly enter into conversation with them. That if you were to recognize them on the street, you would be able to step in. And, and so psychology would categorize this as impersonal knowledge. And it means that I could see Jim on the street. I could see him at a restaurant. And I would be able to easily walk into conversation and say, Hey, how are you doing? Is Sherry doing okay? Is she with you? How's being retired? Have you enjoyed being retired? What about taking that granddaughter to tea? How fun was that? What about Oliver? Is he still kind of crazy? I could enter in to this kind of conversation. Now, Jim is probably going to be a little freaked out because he has no idea who I am. But I could enter into this conversation with him. And again, social psychologists would say that I don't know him. I just know about him. And since I've described a bulk of our relationships... What does it mean to actually know someone? To actually know someone. You see, the opposite of impersonal knowledge is personal knowledge. To know someone is to know information that is intimate or private. You can unpack all of these kind of external details about Jim's life, but to actually know him, I would need to sit across from him and to allow him to unpack for me unseen things hidden things, things that not everybody has access to or that he gives access to in order to get personal knowledge, in order to transition from knowing about Jim to knowing Jim, I would need to see the things that he doesn't show everyone else. So if this opportunity to set across from Jim 
if, if I got this opportunity and he began to tell me with tears in his eyes about the hopes for his grandchildren and the, the concerns that he has for his children and the fears that he lives in and the, the joys that he walks in, something that Facebook would never tell me, that type of information only comes whenever you enter lovingly into someone's life for a period of time. Not just for 10 or 20 minutes of reading something that you see about them but that you actually enter into life with them. There is a difference. There is a difference. These unseen things. How many of you want to unpack unseen things? I want, I feel this in my soul tonight. I want to unpack unseen things. I want to see things that nobody else has ever seen. I want to see something new. I want to see something different. And you see, and I can't do that when I expect God to reveal them in the ways that I have already seen or the ways that I have already heard. We step in to this life. And so then I can say, I know Jim. Not because I know his dog's name. Not because I know his, his life but because I've seen aspects of his heart that the general public has never seen. So what does this have to do with the book of John? I know too many of us who I have just described your relationship with Christ. You know about him, but you don't know him. You can quote what he has done, and we see all of these things in the book of John. We see all of these things in the New Testament. You can quote everything that he has done, but... You still don't know him, you just know about him. You can give me statistics and you can give me scripture and you can give me references and you can give me all of those things. But if I was to ask you what he revealed to you, if I could ask you what he's speaking to your heart, you wouldn't be able to answer me. Because you know about God, but you don't know God. Or you know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. Because we have impersonal relationships with him. And I'm going to say again, he's not hiding from us. He's not hiding from us. Terry, this is where the mystery comes in. He's not hiding from us because what we have done is we have taken this idea that God moves in mysterious ways and we have defined that by our definition of mystery. We have defined that meaning that it is unanswered. I'm going back, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but unsolved mysteries, you know, what was that like in the 90s? What did that mean? That means that it was, it was cases that didn't have an answer yet. And that's what we've done. We've said, we've taken these implications and we've taken these ideas in scripture and we've said, but God is hiding himself from us. He really doesn't want us to to get close he's not going to give me the full picture and we have manipulated this idea of what mystery means because mystery comes from the greek word mysterion which means it's available to you but not with a cheap amount of effort you're going to be able to touch him but not with an impersonal knowledge of him not just knowing about him you are going to have to know him and he wants to bring you into this union in ways that you can't even imagine he wants to bring you into this life he wants to bring you into this abundance that you have already declared I can't get there because God doesn't want me there and I'm telling you he has opened up his throne room to us he has opened up his throne room to us. I heard a minister say, and by no means when I say this am I discounting what was done on the cross. Because without the cross, we are nothing. Without the cross, that gap was not bridged. But how different would it be instead of if glorifying the cross, we glorified the throne? 
How different would our relationship be? How different would our interaction with God be if instead of glorifying the cross, we glorified the throne? He's not hiding from us. But how can we believe what Jesus does if we don't believe who He is? And how can we believe who He is if we don't know Him? So I want to start with John chapter 15 out of the New King James Version. And then a little later on, we're actually going to read the same exact passage out of the Passion Translation. And by looking at those two translations, there is something that God has opened up in my spirit that has rocked my world. And I know that if you will open up your spirit tonight, that it can drastically change the way that you interact with your God, with my God, with our God, the only one true God who is calling us to Him and not pushing us away. He's calling us to Him. So we get in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in, the, abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There is so much, so much imagery attached to those four verses that they would have had an impact on the audience that Jesus was speaking to that we just kind of skip past. And it's, it's relevant. We have to look at this foundation so we can understand exactly what it is that Jesus is doing here. He's not just, just, he's not just telling you a characteristic of himself. He is unpacking some things that were previously out of order that he is now putting back in order by simply making this statement. And it is foundational. If we get this understanding wrong, it can manipulate and twist our whole interaction with God. Because you see, this wasn't the first time that vine terminology was used. It was actually used many times in the Old Testament. But every time in the Old Testament, when Israel was referred to or God's people was referred to as the vine, it had a negative undertone. Because in the Old Testament, when they would say the vine, what they were talking about was that Israel was always, it was always attached to the declaration that Israel was a vine that did not bear fruit. That Israel was out of obedience. They were disobedient to the things that God has called them. They were outside or working outside of the very place that God has placed them. There was this negative undertone to that. We get here to John 15. And Jesus is taking an Old Testament reference and he's setting it right. He's taking an Old Testament reference that says that you are disobedient. You, you have been displaced. He's taking this Old Testament reference that says that, that you, you have not met your qualifications. You're not operating in the way that I have called you to operate. And Jesus says, but I am the vine. I am the vine. He is taking something that was out of order and he is putting it back into order simply by saying, I am the vine. He's declaring this and he's declaring it loudly that what could not bear fruit is now fruitful. What could not bear fruit, what was outside of its place, is now back in order because I am the vine. I am the one that bridges the gap. I am the one that enters in. And here's the thing. It is not an option to bear fruit. It is a command. 
It is a command to bear fruit. You don't get to sit back and say, I love Jesus, but I don't have to do anything for him. You see, I come from a very traditional church background. And I heard many times, and this, my, my background, I, I do not mean this in any kind of negative way whatsoever, but my, my, my church background or my uh, doctrine background, it, it helped build me. And I'm so grateful for the truths that I can stand on that I was taught. But there are some things like this statement, whenever someone would be asked, well, do you want to teach children's church or do you want to teach Sunday school? And a, and a beautiful, beautiful, normally a, a saint that's been in this for a long time would say, I've served my time. As I got older and maybe a little bit bolder, I don't know, maybe even a little bit more out of my order, probably, a little more, more rebellious maybe, when I would hear that statement, I would say, I didn't know serving God was a prison sentence. I didn't understand that you reached a limit. I know that there are seasons in your life, but I didn't understand that you reached a limit. You see, he's declaring what you could not do, I can. What wasn't fruitful now can be fruitful. By saying I'm the vine, he's saying I can be everything. I can be everything that you have not been able to be. And Jesus is entering into this covering of failure. He's entering into this space of being unfruitful. And he is declaring it stops with me. It stops with me. I can be everything that you cannot. I can be everything that you cannot. I can, I can be the places where you have failed. I can. He steps into this imagery of striving but never being successful. This imagery of always falling short. This idea of never being good enough. He's stepping into that and he's saying, you're not trying to achieve righteousness on your own anymore because I am the vine and you are not trying to be fruitful on your own but I make it possible. I make it possible. And just as hard as it is for us to believe that our failures and devotion don't disqualify us from God, it was just the same for those who were listening to Jesus speak. See, I don't know about you, but sometimes I make a mess of the day. Sometimes I can be impatient, I can be disobedient. I can be fast to react instead of respond. I can be short-tempered. I can be judgmental. I can lack compassion. I can look at something that I have done and judge it based on my, my, just the desires of my heart or my intentions and then condemn somebody else for doing the very same thing. I was sitting in the... the it was an old, an old Three Rivers building. Most of my stories are work stories. That tells you what I do, right? I work a lot. Um, I love what I do. That's why I work a lot. But I was sitting in an old Three Rivers building. I was in a different position than I am now. And, and we were in this big room, and it was open. And it was a, I had three or four office you know, desk in there or whatever. And there were a couple of advisors, and that's what I was. And see, and something got a hold of me that morning and on my way into the office. And I said these words. I said, God, bring somebody to me. Bring somebody to me that I can share your love with. Let me give you some advice. Don't do that unless you actually want it because he's going to. Okay, he's going to listen to you. If you ask that question, he's going to say, boom, there it is. It's going to happen. I'm sitting there again, kind of going throughout my day. I look up and I'm the only one in the office. This young lady comes in and she is beside herself. She sits down at my desk and 
she just begins to unpack her life to me, Pastor Val, things that I'm like, what does this have to do with your degree? She begins to unpack her life to me. And she keeps saying these words, I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said, you do. Tell her about me. Tell her about me. And I thought, God, how's she going to respond? I don't know. I don't know if she's going to accept this. I don't know if she's going to reject this. I don't know. I, I'm in my place of business. How is she going to respond? And she continued to say and continued to share her story. And she continued to say, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the Holy Spirit again says, tell her, tell her about me. Tell her you know what to do. And I wish I could stand here and tell you that I shared the gospel with her, but I let her walk out of my office. Claiming to love God and to honor God and to obey God and wanting to serve him with everything I have and wanting to be his representative. I asked him to put me in that place in that time and I let her walk out of my office. This has been about 12 years ago and you know I can still see her face. Because the moment she walked out of my office, I thought, what is wrong with me? What if, what if she goes home and she ends her life? And I had the opportunity to bring life to her. I had the life to give her, and I let her walk out of my office. And I went into our book room, which was secluded, and I just fell to my knees and I just wept. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I wish again that I could tell you that every time the Holy Spirit leads me to do something that I've been obedient, I think I've gotten better. But man, he keeps asking for hard things. Right? And the more you know him, the harder they become. This doesn't make any sense. The more I know about you, the easier it should be. Right? I mean, I'm the star student now. I've surpassed some of the others. Let me do something easy. See, by saying I'm the vine, Jesus says, in those moments where you fall short. And you see, he doesn't reject me because I refuse to obey him in that spot. He doesn't say, eh, you failed, get out of the way. He doesn't say that. Because he says in these moments when you fall short, he says, I don't. I don't. He is the God that in those moments that I didn't share the gospel with her, that if she was in the position to where she was contemplating taking her life, she could flip on the TV and there would be something that spoke to her. He's the God that enters into those spaces where we have lacked. That's who our God is. When he says that you have been, or we say we have been fruitful, he says, oh, but you're not anymore. As you see, there's a few things that happen when we accept this truth about who Jesus is. That Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the one who enters into these spaces on a very intimate level. And the first thing that he says to us is expect pruning. Wait. <laughs> what now? Again. What now? <laughs> Are, I don't think you said what you meant to say, God. I don't know if you guys have conversations like that, but I do. Like, God, did you did you did you like mix up your words there? Like, I could give you a better word. Like, 
I think what you really meant to say was be blessed. I like that one better. I think what you really meant to say was proceed to amazing things. I, I like that one better, right? The flesh in me is like, yes, amazing things. Now let me define what amazing is because you might mess that one up too. Right? Because sometimes I don't know if God understands our definition of amazing here. Or wouldn't it be better if he said, if you abide in me and if you, if you step into this truth, then you are going to be able to rejoice all of your days. But no, he says that we're going to get trials and temptations. Sometimes I'm like, God, we could fix this. But you see, what I don't like about pruning is that in order to be pruned, you have to be cut. And that's not something that I prefer. I don't enjoy correction. And if you raise your hand and say you do, we'll meet later. Because either there's something really wrong with you or you need to repent. I'm not for sure. We'll, we'll work that out. We don't enjoy correction, you see. But if I dig deep enough into Scripture, if I dig deep enough into my relationship with God, what I would find is that pruning and that cutting actually leads to all of those amazing things. What I would find is that pruning and that cutting creates a blessed life that I will be able to rejoice in all of my days. Because you see what Jesus is doing whenever he says that I am going to prune you is he is saying I'm going to grow you up into everything that I am. And if he has everything for us, then so we can enter into those spaces whenever we allow him to grow us up and to prune us. But you see, even knowing all that, my flesh says, do we have to? Or on my holy days, my righteous days, the days that I'm really feeling the Spirit, God, can we make it quick? Can we speed it up? Can we make it quick? You see about, gosh, I don't even know, it's been a while, I had an accident. And I've, I've always been the type of person that I, I didn't know my own strength, evidently. I still don't know my own strength sometimes, and that was kind of the cause of this accident. That's one of the reasons why my sister, I love to play tennis, but my sister doesn't like to play with me because she says, I hit the ball too hard. I just sounded like a child then, didn't I? She won't play with me. Somebody make her play with me. <laughs> but she's faster than I am, so I'm like, well, you just need to pick up speed. I don't know what to tell you, right? And she's watching this. I love you, Emily. You're very beautiful. But I had this accident because I don't know my own strength. And, and I, I was actually, I was taking, see, I'm a good sister. I was taking my sister lunch. Me and her both lunch this day. She, we were, I think I was still in college. Maybe she was living at home. Um, and, and so I, I had lunch for us. And I had went, you know, to, went and picked it up. It was Burger King. I can even tell you what it was. It was Burger King. And um, I went to get lunch. And my, my parents had these three panes on their window, glass panes. And I was looking down because I had my hands full and I was trying to find the keys. And I thought I had opened it. Well, I think I found the keys. And I had opened the door. And what I thought I had opened it just enough to where I could push on the door and it would open. Right? Well, instead, I pushed on the door as I was looking down, not on the wood part, but on the glass. And my hand went all the way through the glass. And in my mind, I said, pull your hand away so you don't get cut. And as I pulled my hand away... 
I come out of the glass, and if you notice, I have a very large scar right here on my wrist. But I have a scar there, and I have one that wraps around my finger and one that wraps around my thumb, all from the same accident. And I had to have a total of like 89 stitches from this, okay? No surgery, nothing like that. I was very blessed, but I have this huge scar and a pretty crazy story to tell. But here's the crazy part. We get to the emergency room. My mom comes and picks me up. You know, I've got everything wrapped up, and, and I'm a, I've got a high pain tolerance. I'm a calm person, you know, so we're okay. We're good. And so I, I get to the, my mom comes and gets me, and um, we're driving to the hospital and trying to decide which hospital to go, and I unwrap my, my thumb, and my thumb is actually turning blue, and so we got to get to the closest hospital possible, right? So we go to the hospital. They, they look at it. They triage it. They wrap everything up, and then they make me wait in the waiting room for an hour and a half. Okay, we need to fix some things there too, but that's a whole nother sermon. So as I'm sitting there, you know, I'm okay. I mean, I'm I'm pretty good. I mean, we're, you know, it's it's hurting a little bit, but again, I'm I'm fine. And so I finally get back to the doctor and they begin to, and I actually know the doctor that's doing this, and they begin to unwrap my hand. And that's whenever we realize for the very large laying over of my skin that I have here, they didn't use nonstick gauze. It has dried. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's the pruning process right there. And so the doctor, he begins to pull, and I'm like, Whoa, hold on. Houston, we have a problem. It's a big one. And so he tries to get it wet and things like that in order to see if it'll come off any better, and it's not coming off at all. And he says, Amanda, I think the best thing we can do is just rip it. And I'm like, you think that, where did you get your degree from? Evidently, bedside manner was not a class you were successful in. And so he says, I'm going to count to three. And I said, if you count to three, I'm going to deck you when you get to two. I told you, I'm a very patient person. I said, so you're just going to have to pull it and don't tell me when you do it. And before I get that sentence off, he ripped that gauze off. But you know what happened? It only hurt for a second. It didn't hurt any longer. After he pulled it away... The pain was gone. I may have blacked out some. I don't remember that part, but the pain was gone a little bit. I was awake for the stitches, so I come to. But you see, in these moments, in these moments when God says that I'm going to prune you, I want to say, can you make it quick? Can you make it quick? Because if we can just make it quick, the pain, it'll stop. It'll go away. Don't, don't prolong it. Because you see, pruning is not enjoyable. I can identify seasons in my life where God was doing some pretty heavy cutting. And although now I can look back and I can say, oh, I got a greater revelation about who God is in this moment, in that moment of pain, in that moment of frustration, in that moment of doubt, I have a greater understanding of who God is. But I'd like to tell you that I'm not jumping up and down and saying, prune me again. No, not saying that. Okay? I'm, I'm having a conversation with God and saying, are you sure that I don't understand your goodness in the right way? Are you sure that I'm not as faithful as I should be? Are you sure that I'm not bearing fruit here because I think I got that one pretty much covered? Please don't prune me. And our loving Father says, I want you to be like me. And there are some things that I've got to cut away. There are some things that I've got to step into. You see, one of these seasons was about three years ago. 
And I had came to the conclusion that there was a desire in my heart, and this is not something that God spoke to me, so understand this. This is something that I decided in my own mind, so we'll preface this whole conversation with that statement. There was a desire in my heart that, to be honest, I was tired of fighting for. I was tired of being disappointed. And so I decided that God just simply wasn't going to meet it. I couldn't understand why. I couldn't figure out why it seemed easy for everyone else, but it just wasn't going to happen for me. And so instead of pursuing something again, I decided instead of being disappointed again that I was going to create a wall and I was going to build a wall that nobody else could penetrate, including God himself. And then all of a sudden, I see something across the room. One day, a different day, after the wall had been built, I was fine. Everything was fine. In this area, we were good. And I see something across the hall or across the, the room, and I hear the Holy Spirit say, pursue it again. No. I've already pursued it more than once. And the Holy Spirit says, pursue it again. And so I decided that I would watch it. I could make a reference here about Eve watching the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and completely messing everything up, but I think you'll get the picture. I decided to, to watch it, and I would take a couple steps forward and think, okay, yes, we're going to do this. And then I would take a couple steps back and think, no, we're not doing this. It's not happening. And I was sitting in my living room, and I was reading the word, and I heard God say again, pursue it. So I closed my Bible and I said, okay, God, come here. <laughs> Maybe I didn't say it like that. I said, if you want me to pursue it, I need covenant with you in this area. I need a physical manifestation of covenant with you like you did before you gave Abraham Isaac. I need a foundational truth. I need a stake in the ground that says this is yours and this is what you're going to have. And I don't want Jesus because Jesus is compassion and Jesus is love and Jesus is meek. I don't want Jesus. I want you, God. I want the God that can create things out of the sound of his voice. I want the God that can part the Red Sea by the wave of his hand. I want the Old Testament God. I want the God that can bring wrath when wrath is required. That's the God that I want. Don't, that's the God I want, not love and compassion. And I think at that point, he rolled up his sleeves and he said, Okay, that's what you want? You want covenant? And I knew that, yes, I wanted covenant with him. But I forgot something. Covenant requires cutting. I forgot that piece. You see, I was being bold, like the word tells me. I was going before the throne room of God, declaring what I want. And God's like, okay. And you see, I wish I could tell you that I got everything that I wanted in that moment. I wish I could tell you that I got this desire of my heart. But you know what happened? I was disappointed again. My heart was shattered into a million pieces. And whenever that happened, again, I was sitting in my living room and all I could say over and over again was, God, I asked you. 
I asked you if I was supposed to pursue this and you told me to pursue and here I am shattered. And if you're good, I don't understand because there's no way that you're good because this doesn't feel good. And God says, Amanda, get on your face. I think he probably would have used my full name there. It was a very fatherly tone. (laughs) He said, I want to come into this room but you can't see me. And I remember crawling into my living room floor and I had my Bible open and I laid down in my living room floor and there was a presence that come into that room so strong that if I knew if I could reach my hand out, I could touch his feet. And I sat there and I wept in his presence. I wept in his presence. And whenever I could finally open my eyes, at that time I had a very thick carpet. And I kid you not, when I opened my eyes, I could see footprints. I could see footprints. And in my Bible that I had randomly opened were these words, I am Yahweh. There is no other Savior but me. I alone declared, saved, and proclaimed, not some foreign God among you. You are my witness, and this is the Lord's declaration, and I am God. Also from today on, I am He alone, and none can deliver from my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? That's Isaiah 43, verses 11 through 13. You see, you don't get that kind of understanding about who God is. You don't get that kind of revelation without abiding in Him and allowing Him to abide in you. And some of you may be thinking, Amanda, that's a great story. Way to pull on our emotions. Way to step into that space. Let me prove it to you because here's what God has been doing since the beginning of time. is He is saying, I'm pursuing you. I'm pursuing you into a union like you have never experienced. I am pursuing you into a relationship. He is not pushing you away today. He has never pushed you away. And I can show you this in Scripture. Look again at John chapter 15. Go ahead and throw that picture up for me, guys, if you will. I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. John 15, verses 1 through 4. It says, I am a true sprouting vine, and the, father who, the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and the pruning. Every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you, so you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. You have two versions of scripture there, two translations of scripture in front of you. One of them is the New King James Version that we read previously. The one on the top is the Passion Translation. Now, here's what they do. They give a a slightly different picture of how God responds to the fruitless seasons if you only look at the surface level. But we don't do that, right? We want to go deeper. We want to see something new. And so what you have, if you look at verse 2, it says, He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. So the Passion Translation tells us that whenever we are in a fruitless season, He lifts and props us up. But the New King James Version says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. So which one is it? Does He prop me up or does He take me away? 
Religion tells us that he removes us completely and he pushes us away from him. But see, if you were to look at the Greek translation and if you were to look at the words that were used for this translation, you would actually see a picture of a sailboat and the sail being raised so the wind can rush through the sails and take it from one destination to the next. I don't know if you understood me or maybe I'm a little bit more excited about that than you. You see, to take it away, to to prune, actually means that he is taking us from one position to the next, from one glory to the next. And we see pruning as being a negative. We look at this scripture and we think that God is saying, if I don't abide in him, if I don't ever measure up, then he's going to cast me out. That's not the same God I know. That's not the same God that I know. So the answer is both. He props us up and he takes us away. Because see, if you had a New King James Version Bible and you were to look at your reference there, there would be a little A beside it. That A would take you down to a footnote and it would say, or lifts up. Take away and lifts up are two very different things. And you and I were taught that if we're not fruitful, then we're removed. But Jesus said, I'm the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine. I need you to imagine I'm not a gardener. I don't have patience for that. Not a gardener. But I know this because my, my, my grandparents had plants. And I know that there were times that whenever a plant would begin to wilt, my grandfather would take a stick or he would take a piece of wood and he would plant right in the middle of that plant. He would stake that stick right in the middle of that plant that was wilting. And the next time I would come over, that plant would actually be thriving because it would be wrapping itself around that stick, that that thing that was stationary, that thing that was never going to move. Do you know what qualifies something as a vine? It's a plant that trails. A plant that trails. In other words, it is a plant that climbs. It is a plant that climbs. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, what he is saying is that he lifts us up when our devotion is fading so we can get from one level to the next, from one level to the next, to the next, to the next, to whenever we climb out of whatever mess we're in. He doesn't pull himself away from us. He actually gets more involved into who we are. And he begins to wrap himself around us. And he says, if you will hold on to me, I'll pull you out of this. You're wilting now, but because I am the vine, you're fruitless now. But because I am the vine, I will step into those places and everything that you've declared as not being able to bear fruit, they are now fruitful. If he props us up, when we come to the end of our intellect, our strength, our understanding, our ability to reason, then I can move into this place of rest. I can move into this place of peace, a place where the anxiety to strive and achieve relationship with the Father is based on my own righteousness. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. When we understand that Jesus comes to be everything we cannot be. The internal dialogue of I can't, I can't mess this up again. I'll lose my anointing. I'll grieve the Holy Spirit. It stops because we're not relying on our own abilities. We are attaching ourselves to the one who cannot fail. You see what Abba does in these moments. Is he props us up with a state called beloved identity. 
And that beloved identity is a stake that says, I am now, in, I am now abiding in you. I am now intertwined with you because Jesus is the true vine. And I, the Father, am the great vine dresser. And on that day when I was wilting, on that day that I was falling apart, Jesus enters into that space and he props me up. In that moment, when I was laying on my living room floor questioning everything I knew about God, he showed up beside me and he said, "Uh uh-uh, not today. He said, I will come down and I will step into this and I will pull you to myself. And if you wrap your arms around me, we will walk out of this together. Because we are tied to union. We are tied in union. And out of this union, God says that we can be everything that he has called us to be. You see, in John chapter 15, if you were to look at verses 1 through 11, you would find the word abide or remain 11 times. It comes from the Greek word minnow. And each time the Greek word used, each time the word minnow is used, it means to be present or to remain or to be held or kept continually. You see, if you change your definition of abiding to being held, you change the rules of devotion. Devotion no longer looks like reading the Bible in a year. It no longer looks like you're striving in your own abilities. It no longer is about you keeping a set of rules and regulations. It's no longer a contract that says if you mess this up on your end, then the deal is null and void. When you change abiding to being held, devotion becomes about sitting in your chair at 5 o'clock in the morning when the sun begins to rise. And you see Jesus, you see him sitting across from you and he says, dance with me. Dance with me. You see, in Greek theology, there's a word called perichoresis. No, Lord. There's a word called perichoresis. And it's used to describe the Trinity. It's used to describe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it gives this impression of the three co-mingling. It gives this impression of the three intertwined with each other. Peri is where we get the word periscope or perimeter. And choresis is where we get the word choreograph. So it's the circle dance. It's exactly what Jesus is trying to show us in John chapter 15. A perfect union being intertwined and propped up with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. When Jesus says, abide in me, and I will abide in you, he is calling us back into oneness with him. He is calling us back into union with him. You see, it is this union that in the Garden of Eden, whenever, whenever God was creating Adam, whenever he was looking at everything, and he says, I need something to set aside for myself. I need something to worship me and only worship me. It is out of this union, it is out of this intermingling and this connecting of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that they began to circle and they began to look at something that was nothing. Then all of a sudden, I think, this is the way I see it in my head, I think that whenever they began to circle and whenever the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit began to dance, that what happens is the dust began to move. And when the dust began to move, all of a sudden, Adam was formed out of that dust and he was released out of that dust. And guess what? We're from the same dust. We're from the same dust. And Eve, we know that she messed things up. And whenever she took a bite of the apple, that union changed a little bit for us. But when Jesus stepped on the scene, 
When Jesus stepped on the scene, it all went back in its proper place. And you and I don't live in Old Testament. You and I live in a new covenant. We don't live in an inferior covenant. We live in a superior covenant. And I don't care how far out you think you are. I don't care how bad you think you've messed it up. I don't care if you think that you have just shot this whole thing. It does not matter because God has His hand reached out to you tonight and He is saying, dance with me. Come back into union with me. Abide in me and let me abide in you. You are not too far gone for me. You are not out of place. Sister Janet, go ahead and come on up. Oh, Jesus. Father. 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 I wish. I wish I could make you believe how he sees you. I wish I could tell you, I wish I could tell you and make you accept that he is delighted in you. He is delighted in you. And I don't care how many times you've messed it up. I don't care how many times that you have been disobedient. Your father's not pushing you away. He's drawing you in. He's drawing you into him. He's drawing you into him. And there are things when you step into that union, when you step into that moment of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dancing around you, There are things that you have laid in the dirt. There are things that you have declared as wilting. And God says they will no longer wilt. But the very things that you have declared as dead, the dreams, the ideas, the ministries, the the family, the children, the health, the finances, just a, a peaceful mind, The things that you have said, I will no longer be able to achieve. God says, you don't have to achieve it. I want to give it to you. Step into this union with me. Step into this union with me. I cannot dance to save my life. But I do like to slow dance. I have no rhythm whatsoever. But I like to slow dance. You want to know why? Because I don't have to lead it. All I have to do is sway and move with the direction that the one I'm dancing with. And there is there is a heart there is a heart that is setting in the sanctuary and you've stopped dancing with him. You've stopped dancing with him. You have come to the end of your road. And you think that you have nowhere to turn. And your father, your father has his hands reached out to you. And he is whispering to your ear, dance with me. Dance with me. You see, I remember whenever I was a child that my dad would prop me up on his feet. And I didn't have to do anything. I just had to be held. Stand to your feet with me tonight. I just had to be held. And because of relationship I had with him, I knew the steps. 
Because He was leading. He was the one making the movements. I didn't have to do anything. I just simply wrapped my arms around Him and allowed Him to lead me all over the dance floor. And that's what your Savior wants to do tonight is He wants to dance with you. He wants to dance with you. I know, I know that we are on a Wednesday night, but I'm going to give you the opportunity. If you want your dance back, if you want to step into this union, I ask you to step forward. If you want to step into that union with God, if you've said, Amanda, I've lost my dance and I want it back. There are things that I've let fall to the ground and I want to see them restored. If you want your dance back, if you want to step into that union, it's open for you tonight. It is open for you tonight. Because your Savior loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Father, I worship you. Father, I worship you because you're worthy. I worship you because you're powerful. I worship you because you're mighty. But Father, I worship you because you are the vine, Lord. You are the one that intertwines with me. You are the one that steps into the places, Father, that, that maybe we have made a mess of, Lord. But you will wrap yourselves around us and allow us to wrap ourselves around you, Father. So, Lord, we step into this union. We step into this union, Father, to manifest new things, to bring about the things that we haven't seen, the new things, Father, because, Lord, I I want to touch something. Father, this sanctuary, these people want to touch something. And so, Father, we step into union with you. Praise your name, Lord. You are a good father. You are a good father. And you are not pushing us away. You are not pushing us away, but you are drawing us back to you. So, Father, tonight we say yes. We say yes to you, Lord. We say yes to your union. We say yes to your dance, Father. Praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord.